0: Well, hello, everyone. Welcome back. It's Business Casual, our weekly podcast. This is John Byrne with Poets and Quants with my co-host, Maria Rick Villa and Caroline Diorti edwards Caroline, of course, is the former admissions head at NCAD and a co-founder of Fortuna Admissions. And Maria is the founder of Applicant Lab. Now, we've missed you for the past few weeks, and I want to explain why. I took a little vacation To Italy to celebrate the new year, and it turned out that I ended up testing positive for COVID, and so did all of my three travel mates. So I ended up in quarantine in Italy for an additional 15 days. Now, it wasn't hard duty. It was quite pleasant, and my symptoms were mild, but it meant that I was in a seaside village right next to the Adriatic Sea, It was beautiful, but I was pretty much isolated and couldn't do a whole lot. But now I'm back. And so is Maria from a snowstorm in Tahoe. Caroline narrowly escaped a snowstorm in Tahoe. And we're all here back to think about business education and what's going on and to help you navigate this journey to business school. The big news really this past week involves the GMAT. And we know this is the test we all love to hate because it's one of the major hurdles of getting into a really good MBA program. Some people have the opportunity and luxury of studying for it for months on end, which gives them a tremendous advantage over people who don't have all that time. Some people can avail themselves of highly expensive tutors and classes and prepare for the test. Others can't. There are issues about the fairness of it and the use of it by business schools. But what's going on right now is fascinating. An official at GMAC, which is the organization that administers the GMAT test, is accusing ETS, the maker of the rival GRE test, of deliberately misleading people with this comparison tool uh, that they've had on their website for many years. Now, many people... In the business, admission officials, admission consultants, applicants themselves rely on this comparison tool to plug in their verbal and quant scores on the GR to to basically get a predictive GMAT score to to give you a sense of your odds of uh, whether you can get into a program or not. And this GMAT official is saying that the test, that comparison tool is bunked. He says it can be off by as many as 200 GMAT points. That is, it is nonsense, that it's a disservice to both applicants and business schools. And yet, for years, we've all relied on it. I wonder, Caroline, what you think of this.
1: Well, it is a different test, right? So I understand that you can't necessarily say there's an exact equivalence. I have always paid more attention to the percentiles rather than those conversion charts. So, you know, if I'm evaluating a GRE score, I always look at where they stand in in the GRE percentiles. Having said that, I mean, it's very strongly worded, right, the the statement. And given their situation with a downturn in application or the downturn in GMAC testing volume, it does smack of desperation because... ETS is eating their lunch, right? And, and this goes back years, right? So from what I from what I remember, ETS had the contract for administering the GMAT, right? Yeah. And then GMAC took it away from ETS and gave it to Pearson View. And, the, and therefore, to get back into the market, ETS started pushing the GRE as an alternative to GMAC. So that's how All this sort of started back a few years ago. And, you know, GRE has been successful in winning, you know, significant market share in this market. And I think that's perfectly legitimate, right? I welcome that. I welcome that schools are open to candidates taking different tests. I think it broadens the pool. It increases the diversity in the applicant pool. But, you know, there may be some legitimacy in their claim that you can't can't say that the tests are exactly equal right? I mean, GMAC did design the GMAT as a test for business schools, right? That's how it was designed. Um, the GRE is not designed for business schools specifically. It's a much, It has a much broader application. And therefore, yes, so it, it's correct to say that they are not exactly equivalent.
0: Yep. Maria, I'm sure you've used that comparison tool with your candidates over the years.
1: Yeah. And it's funny. It's it's really a shame
2: that this critique is coming from someone from GMAC themselves, because then it sort of reeks of sour grapes. And I actually think that the critique is a legitimate one. So I wish it would have come from perhaps a less uh, invested party. But I, I always tell people to look at the whatever because now more and more schools are actually reporting their gre scores and many of them are thankfully breaking it out by the quantitative and the verbal and so i tell people like just look at what those numbers are and how you compare against them because i've actually in the past i've sort of given myself a a migraine trying to figure out like okay like you know I, i i work backwards using that tool and i'm like well wait a minute this is telling me that it's a 710 i'll give you an example let me just use a concrete example so i was looking at a top school and they said, OK, our, our average verbal score for people who get in is 165 and our average quant score is 164. So when you, pu- you publish those or you put those into the, the GRE score, uh, score converter, it says, oh, that's the equivalent of a 710. But that school's average GMAT is over 730. And so it's like, well, first of all, like, wait a minute, it's actually, you know, it's it, just based on that alone, it sounds like it's kind of easier to get in using the GRE, but then I take it one step further and the ETS's own tool not only said, well, look, this is the equivalent of a 710, but your verbal score, like a 165 on the verbal in GRE is equivalent to a 41 on the GMAT and the 164 in quant is equivalent to a 45 in the, in the GMAT. But when I reverse engineer that and I plug those, that verbal score and that quant score into a GMAT chart, I come back with a 690. So basically what I, to to sort of summarize it, like even the ETS's own tool, they say you would, this is the same as a 710 and this is what it would have been verbal. And this is what it would have been quant. But then when I plug those same verbal and quant scores back into another chart, it comes out as a lower GMAT Mm. score. So I get the sense that it's sort of over inflates now the one the one thing i will say that i think i the reason i i don't immediately just think like oh ets is evil um and this is some sort of scam
0: <laughs>
2: is that the, the quantitative percentiles for the gre are, are are lower than they are for for the gmat and by that i mean it's because so many people take the GRE, right? Even people applying to, I don't know, philosophy programs and English literature programs and well, you know, creative writing programs or whatever. I would, it's, it makes sense that the pool would be less quantitatively driven or less quantitatively, um, you have, have less of a background as a result. And so it makes sense that someone who would get you know, be in the let's say the fiftieth percentile on the Gmat might be in like the eightieth percentile on the GRE, not because they're smarter or dumber on one test versus another, but just because there's a there are many more poets in the GRE pool dragging that that number down. Uh, and so I I, I think that uh, there are some definitely some shenanigans. I've always questioned how that tool works. I don't think that it should be taken into consideration, honestly. And that's why I tell people just look at whatever those published averages are for the admitted students and compare your scores against that. Because otherwise, it just it, it's totally wacky. And I can't I can't make the numbers tie together. Yeah. And so I don't trust it.
0: Well, it's, it's a good point because I think it's led to the belief that schools are willing to accept lower standardized test scores on a GRE than they are on the GMAT. And that's because every time a school reports both results and you put, input these numbers in the comparison tool, the predictive GMAT score is always lower than the actual GMAT score uh, for the class average, for the incoming class. This is true at Harvard, as you point out. You know, Harvard's median GMAT score is 730, but the median verbal score for the GRE is 163 and the quant score is 164. You put it into the tool and it comes out with a 700 score, which is 30 points below the GMAT median uh, for the latest Harvard Business School entering class. And this, this has been historically true across all the schools which has led to this belief that, hey, if you can't do well on the GMAT, you should take the GRE because schools seem more willing to accept lower numbers. And some of that belief occurred because in the beginning, U.S. News did not measure GRE scores. They only measured GMAT scores. So it also led to this thinking that, okay, admissions officials aren't going to be as hard on you with the GRE because U.S. news isn't going to factor it into the ranking and it's not going to hurt their school's rank. I, I don't know. I mean, all this could be nothing more than crazy speculation, but it has more or less proven out over the years. And now the fact that there is this disconnect on the tool and GMAT is making a big deal of it, you know, gives you some pause and makes you think twice about this whole thing. Caroline, when you were at NCAD, I know that you were only accepting GMAT scores back then. Is that right?
1: Well, when I was there, we started to accept the GRE with the advice to candidates that they should target the 80th percentile or above on both parts of the test. Whereas for the GMAT, the advice was 70 to 75th percentile or above. So I do think that it is easier to do well on the GRE and that's why the schools asking for candidates to target a higher percentile. And then at one point after I left the school stopped accepting the GRE after having had some bad experiences with candidates coming in with a GRE and and floundering academically and now they have started taking it again but candidates with a GRE um so they so they welcome candidates with a GRE but they will really do a lot of due diligence on the academic ability and other dimensions, candidates presenting with the GRE because of that experience with, you know, and the handful of candidates where they had apparently done well on the GRE, but um, their academic abilities were were not up to par when it came to performing on the program.
0: Yeah. And to your other point uh, regarding percentiles, I know that Bruce Del Monaco, the admissions head at Yale School of Management, uh, and Yale accepts a large number of GRE candidates. Uh, It's like 28 to one third of their uh, incoming class on a regular basis. He looks for that higher percentile on the quant exactly because of the two uh, things that both Maria and you have mentioned earlier uh, in evaluating. So rather than just look at a blank score doing a conversion, He's, he's wanting to see an extra few few points uh, higher on the percentile on the quant side uh, when they take someone with a GRE there. What does this all mean for an applicant? Okay, uh, let's say ta- I, I take my GRE. Do I forget about this comparison tool because uh, GMAT is questioning its, its credibility? Uh, and do I just look at how my scores compare w- with what the school is reporting? what should an applicant do about this
1: <laughs> well i think you know it's important to refer to the percentiles and it's important to refer to you know the the school averages or the school policies i mean the schools have a lot of experience with evaluating these these tests themselves and they know themselves how it correlates with how candidates do academically on the program so you know i'm sure they will read with interest what gmac is saying about this but I don't think it's going to change their attitude to the to either test. They have their own experience, right, and they are accepting candidates with a GRE. Um, vast majority, of which are doing very well on the programs, great candidates. Um, so, you know, I, I don't see that changing. So, I don't think candidates should fear that. You know, taking the GRE is somehow sort of second best. And the schools are going to change their policy because of GMAC making a big fuss about this. You know, the schools understand how these tests work and they, you know, have a tremendous amount of experience in evaluating the, the, the candidates with the test and understanding, you know, the threshold that they they need to see. And it's not just about these tests, right? I mean, they're looking at a lot of other data points to evaluate academic potential.
0: Exactly, Maria, your take on how applicants should deal with this? Just ignore it all.
2: (laughs) Yeah, I just, I don't think it's it's one of those things where it's like when people try to read the tea leaves of like my interview invite came out at 11.13 and yours came out at 11.15. What does it all mean? Like, it's just, just don't worry about it. I don't think... Yeah, it's, I don't think it's going to make a difference. Like Caroline said, I think at this point, the GRE, maybe 15 years ago, when the GRE was relatively new in the MBA process, uh, it would have made more of a, of a splash or more of an impact. But like Caroline said, we now have several years worth of, of significant portions, in some cases, of the class entering with a GRE at a certain level, presumably performing up to par in the classroom. And so, yeah, I wouldn't I, I wouldn't necessarily use the conversion tool. I do think that the conversion tool, in some cases, it underestimates and in some cases it overestimates. And so I, I wouldn't go by that and be like, oh, look, it says that I have a 710 equivalent. So therefore that means X. Uh, I would just look at the individual percentiles and look at what the schools themselves report.
0: Yeah, exactly. Now, also to your point, this attack is occurring at a time when GMAT test volume is at record lows. In fact, for the testing year of 2020, 21, which ended in July of last year in the US, test taking fell to a new low of 38,509. Think about that. Only 38,509 tests were taken in the US on the GMAT. And remember, that's test taken, that's not test takers. Because if you actually threw in or a a, a divider (laughs) on the number of people who take a test multiple times you'd find far fewer candidates than 38,509, which is pretty darn shocking. To put that number in perspective, in the pre-pandemic testing year 2018, there were 73,556 exams taken in the US. So that this is like a 48% decline since 2018 in three years, which is pretty darn dramatic. And it gets even worse because if you look at the peak year of uh, GMAT test taking, which is way back in 2012, the drop is even bigger. And, and I mean, it's it's pretty much a collapse, frankly. Back then, there were like 117,500 tests taken in the US. 117.5 versus 38.5 in nine years. What's going on here? What do you make of this, Maria?
2: I mean, you know... God bless ETS for convincing the the MBA admissions (laughs) officers that the GRE is a legitimate equivalence for the GMAT. I mean, I think that that would, if I had to say off the top of my head, it would almost entirely be because the GRE is now gladly accepted. And I think the GRE is overall, uh, for the most part, an easier test or at least it's certainly easier to score. in. let's say, like I said before the 80th to score in the 80th percentile in quant on the GRE is much easier than to score on the 80th percent in quant on the GMAT on the GMAT because of the, of the applicant pool. So, you know, like, I think people are seeing it as kind of a, a backdoor, so to speak, a way to maybe do a little less work or in prepping, or I'm just not a very good test taker. And so I, you know, It's a a shame because I I do think that the GMAT is by far a much more rigorous test. So if I were in admissions and I had everything was up to me, I would probably respect it more. But that's not what's happening. So
1: yikes.
0: Yeah, exactly. Now, there are a few other things going on here, too, Caroline, right?
1: Well, yes. I mean, it may be that there's a drop in test takers overall over that period. I mean, I, I do think that the market is weakening a bit right now. And I think that this year um, we won't see the same volume of applications to business school, perhaps, that we saw um, last year from from the U.S., given the strength of the job market and how quickly that's rebounded. Yeah. So that might be a factor. And and of course, you know, the the pandemic tests were less accessible. So, you know, people were concerned about taking the at-home test and there were some glitches with the at-home test. And, and, um, you know, particularly with the GMAT version of the at-home test, the GRE seemed to get that right more quickly than GMAT. So, you know, that may have driven a bigger shift towards the GRE. Because of those circumstances, I think, you know, some of it is no doubt pandemic related.
0: Yeah. And, uh, you know, a number of schools have adopted test optional policies. Uh, Many more schools are uh, more generously granting waivers of standardized tests. Part of this occurred uh, at the start of the pandemic as a way to be more compassionate to applicants. Uh, But what many admission officials say who have done this is that it didn't affect the quality of the applicant pool at all. And they believe that there are enough other aspects of uh, an MBA application to judge whether or not uh, a person can do the quant work in the core curriculum. And let's face it, a GPA over four years, particularly one with the transcript of some quant courses in it, should give one greater, greater sense of confidence that someone can do the quant work than a three and a half or three hour and 15 minute test that can be studied for. And along with the interview, along with the progress and track record at work, uh, along with what other filters a person had to go through to get into a quality undergraduate institution or to work for uh, a high end employer with uh, heavy duty screening processes. All of those ingredients that go into the holistic assessment of candidates in business schools should give admission officials more information than they actually need, making a standardized test less relevant to them, I would think. Now, there's the the other argument where you're, you're looking at a worldwide pool of applicants and maybe the GMAT or the GRE is something of a leveler because everyone has to take the test. But even that is not true because obviously the tests are in English, and for people who uh, have English as a second language, that's a disadvantage. Now, uh, I uh, spoke with the president and CEO of GMAC this morning, and he, uh, is, uh, you know, is basically attributes the decline to the, the, this fact: the fact that schools and universities are experimenting with the test optional policies. He also thinks there's been a natural uh, pandemic-induced reduction in test taking. But he's also seen a shift to the executive assessment. When GMAC came out with the EA, it was largely for executive MBA programs. And it's a much shorter, easier test. But more and more uh, full-time MBA programs are accepting the EA in lieu of the GMAT or the GRE. And uh, it, his executive assessment test has had a fifth consecutive year of growth. So he's seeing that. The other thing he's seeing is that worldwide, you know, uh, it's a little bit different picture. It's not as bad as just the U.S. numbers. Let me tell you, it's not not good (laughs) because testing volume in China has declined substantially um, because, you know, in 2020, the government didn't allow for any form of online testing. Uh, And while it's recovered a little bit this uh, last year in 2021, as test centers began to open, it's still well below uh, historical levels in China. The other issue, of course, is the tensions between the United States and China, which is making a lot of Chinese not uh, want to come uh, to the United States because there are also things like the zero COVID policy in China and travel restrictions that make it difficult for Chinese to come to the US. India uh, test volumes also have been down. Um, Europe is is looking better, according to him. But, you know, overall, these numbers are not not very good. And uh, they're kind of scary. I mean, it does represent something of a collapse in GMAT testing volume. One thing I, I I'll point out, is because the GMAT had long been, and still is the dominant test for uh, business school admissions, oftentimes uh, testing volume on the GMAT was correlated with application volume. And for the first time ever, that seems not to be the case. And it's not the case for all the reasons that we've cited uh, here, including the rise of the GRE, taking more market share, including uh, test optional policies, and including difficulty in taking a test if you wanted it during certain parts of the time when test centers were closed and before the home test uh, became viable. So I think there's now this disconnect where you can look at testing volume and not necessarily see it as an indicator of where application volume is going. Caroline, what do you think about that? Is that, you think that's a permanent situation or temporary?
1: Yeah, I mean, it, it, time will tell, right? Because there is a lag um, between test volume and 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 what happens on the at the schools. So, um, you know, I, I think we'll have to wait and see. But you know, it, it's a very interesting point that you made about the executive assessment. I think, and you know, how that could continue to grow, right? Because it's a much In many ways, it's a much easier and less intimidating test, right? It's a shorter test. There's less preparation required. So I do wonder if that will continue to be, you know, a trend that we'll see with more and more full-time programs embracing the
0: EA. Yeah, including Um, Columbia Columbia Business School and NYU Stern. We're among the first to do that, yeah.
1: Yeah, because, you know, is it really necessary to do, you know, three-and-a-half-hour tests? To demonstrate your academic ability given all the other data points that schools have about you by the time that you apply to business school right um you know perhaps a shorter form test could be just as efficient at 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 capturing that you know some important data for the schools Um, and that could be a good thing right because in some ways it lowers the hurdles for people to apply to business school and and that would be you know that's a good thing in some ways, right? And then it can broaden the pool. Um, sure. It makes it more accessible to to more people. You know, the GMAT is a very intimidating process, right? And having gone through it myself, it's not a fun thing to do, right? So if there is a route that that one can take where it's a, a, a shorter test. And, uh, you know, that, that enables to schools to bring in more candidates, then, you know, that could also be a positive evolution. So perhaps that's something that that GMAC should push, right? Maybe, the, the you know, the, the GMAT is never going to go back to having the volumes that they've had in the past because the market has fundamentally changed. And it's not going to yeah. go back to the cozy monopoly that they enjoyed for so many years where it was just such a, you know, wonderful cash cow for them. So, you know, perhaps they do need to reinvent themselves and, you know, come up with 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 other products. And, and, you know, the EA seems to be something that they could develop further.
0: Yeah, that's true. And as you know, there are a number of European schools that have their own tests that they've developed in lieu of taking a GMAT or a GRE that they're willing to allow an applicant to take. And, and, and it gives them some assurance that the quant work can be done without difficulty in the core. Yes. And And you probably will see more of that going on as well. Yeah. I think. Um, Maria, last words.
2: I think that if I were GMAC, I would rebrand the executive assessment to make it clear that it's not just for executive MBAs. And I I would push that as the GRE slayer. Because I think since it would be less intimidating, I think a lot more people would flock to it. And also, I couldn't help but notice that they actually charge more to take the EA than they do the GMAT. I think it's about seventy. I think it's three hundred and fifty dollars if I'm looking at the right chart, versus two hundred and seventy-five. Another thing that I noticed too is that the GRE is actually a little bit cheaper to take than the GMAT as well, Absolutely. which could also be. I don't think that's the main thing driving it, but it doesn't hurt. So if I were GMAC, I would say, you know, put the pedal to the metal on the executive assessment, rebrand it though, so that it it sounds like it's more globally or you know it's, it's more exce- more uh, applicable to mba programs or mim programs or whatever uh and then go full speed ahead on that and then just educate the schools on it really is viable we've been telling you for years that the, <laughs> the only no we were kidding you know it was really overkill it was a different Maria, time i think that's gr- i think
0: that's great advice uh i'm very that.
2: it's almost like i'm good at business yeah no like i yeah. <laughs> like that's what i think that's great what i advice. think they should do they to
1: Otherwise
0: I think they're stuck. <laughs> I I think, you know, a few years ago when I looked at the numbers, I found out that the actual profit margin, and you know, GMAC is a so-called nonprofit organization, but the actual profit margin on a GMAT test uh, was higher than the profit margin on an Apple iPhone. Now, I doubt that that's <laughs> true today given the dramatic decline in volume, but if they follow your strategy and start rebranding the executive assessment and use it as a slayer against the GRE, they might very well do better than even before their uh, their their profit margins uh, that were already better than Apple's iPhone margins. I think. Your
2: GMAC, please please send consulting fee to Maria. <laughs> I'll give you my address in a private message. <laughs> I charge very reasonable consulting rights. <laughs> yeah, what,
0: what would you call it? Instead of the executive assessment to, to make sure The that
2: express it, assessment. The I express. Had to pick it.
0: Okay, we right like it. Right off the
2: top of my head without thinking about it.
0: <laughs> or, the or something assessment, like that. Right, yeah. Well, ex- express, that's good. At I least that way
2: it's good. still the EA. I was yeah, trying to think of an E word. It's fast, it's
0: would... quick. Uh, you get it over, you don't have to study for it as much, and it will give you enough information to help make uh, an admissions decision. I like it, this.
1: It, it's the antigen test versus the PCR. Right? Yes.
0: <laughs> exactly right. Yes. It may be less reliable, but mm-hmm. you just don't count on it to some degree. Yeah. Less <laughs> nasal <faster>. discomfort. <laughs> <laughs> All right, everybody. There you have it. All about the GMAT this time. Uh, whether or not you can trust a conversion tool, whether it even matters, and why GMAT testing volume is at historic lows. Well, thanks for joining us. This is John Byrne with Parts of Quant. You've been listening to Business Casual, our weekly podcast. Mm